0: Hey, this is Tyler Johnson, pastor of Mission Church, located in Walnut Creek, California. I want to say thank you for tuning in. I hope this podcast inspires you, encourages you, and helps you live the life God called you to live. Enjoy. Are you ready for the message? All right, I got a two-parter. We're going to be talking about love the next two weeks. We're in a series titled That's My Church, A Church That Loves. Now, I don't know if the gray clouds make you a little sleepy, a little tired, But the Bible shows very clearly that the word of God is sharper than a double-edged sword. That it can cut the things that need to be cut away today. That it can heal what needs to be healed today. It says that the the word of God is like seed. That if you will allow it, it will return 30, 60, 100-fold in your life. So are you ready for the word? Oh, you better get ready. Here we go. Matthew 5 says this. You have heard the law that says, love your neighbor and hate your enemy. (laughs) It's like you have seen what Instagram tells you. Love your neighbor, hate your enemy. But I say, love your enemies, pray for those who persecute you, and that way you'll be acting as true children of your Father in heaven. For he gives his sunlight to both the evil and the good, and he sends rain on the just and the unjust alike. If you love only those who love you, what reward is there for that? Man, I can just preach on that text right there. Uh, Even uh, corrupt tax collectors do that much. even, Even the worst of the worst do that much. If you are kind only to your friends, how are you different from anyone else? We got to be different. Amen. Yes. We got to be different. The church has got to be. We got to love different, live different, serve different, forgive different. We got to be different. Even the pagans do that. The word pagan in the New Testament, by the way, uh, literally was just representing farmers. And farmers didn't hear the word of God for the longest time because the, the gospel was going into cities. So they just didn't even know the gospel. So they just called people to know the gospel pagans. It's all it means. People just don't know the good news. Uh, but you are to be perfect even as your Father in heaven is to be perfect. Everybody say perfect. That's a a, a high bar. That's a high bar. Um, Now, if I told you that I worship the God of basketball, and the God of basketball saved my soul, and the God of basketball has power and authority to give me uh, the the ability to dunk from the free throw line, to make every three-pointer, to uh, dribble like Steph Curry with a little bit of sauce on it, whatever that means, sauce on it. Uh, uh, And then I went out to the basketball court and I could not dribble, and I could not pass, and I could not shoot, you would question my God, yes? Yes? But if I told you I worship the God of love, and my God is love, but I could not forgive, I could not love, I could not be generous, I could not honor, you might just might question my God. And the, the, the Bible shows us, and history shows us, Ooh. That the ones that move the needle in the right way are the ones that love. You can move the needle in the wrong way. We're all moving the needle somewhere. But if you want to move the needle in the right way, it's the ones who love. There's a great story about Abraham Lincoln when he was writing against his opponent, Edwin Stanton. Edwin Stanton uh, made fun of where Abraham Lincoln was from. He's from the Midwest. So he'd call him a hick. And say, Midwestern can never actually run the nation. He doesn't understand the way we, we process here in the city. So he'd make fun about where he's from. Not only to make fun of Abraham Lincoln, where he's from, he would make fun of what Abraham Lincoln looked like. Abraham Lincoln had very strong features. He literally would tell people, would you want a gorilla to be your president? He said he looked like a gorilla to people. And when Abraham Lincoln, somebody thinks that's funny. They're like, ooh, that's good. <laughs> Call him a gorilla. Um, <laughs> that's funny. was laughing, that tickled me. Okay, so um, anyways, um, Abraham Lincoln became president. And then when he was looking for uh, somebody to hire as the secretary of war defense, guess who he hired? Edwin Stanton. And he says there's greatness in that man. And when Abraham Lincoln passed away, Edwin Stanton said this. At his funeral, Stanton was there. He got up in tears, weeping. He said, here lies the greatest ruler among men in all the earth. He was the most amazing man. And uh, when you read the story of Abraham Lincoln, people would ask, why would Abraham act this way? How would he love his enemies this way? Why was he so patient? And they would always point back to this. Abraham not only knew the scriptures, he lived the scriptures. Can I read you a a, a chapter in the Bible? A lot of you think it is the wedding chapter in the Bible. You think God gave it to us for weddings to read. (laughs) Love is patient. Love is kind. Love does not keep a record of wrongs. And At weddings, we're like, oh, isn't that beautiful? But the reality is, is in 1 Corinthians 13, it is not a wedding chapter. It is a rebuke from the Holy Spirit to the church. Paul is rebuking the church of Corinth. They are a bunch of immature, unloving believers. And the only way you grow up is you become a person of love. So Paul literally says at the very end, he says, stop acting like babies. He's rebuking a bunch of babies. And so, so don't read this, don't hear this verse as the wedding verse. Hear it as a church that is doing great things, but doing it with the wrong spirit. So I'm going to read you a little First Corinthians 13, because the reason why Abraham could love someone like an Edwin Stanton is because he knew, he knew that love was patient and love kept no record of wrongs. And so let me just read you a little bit of it. If I speak in the tongues of men or angels, but do not have love, I'm only a resounding gong or a clanging cymbal. If I have the gift of prophecy and can fathom all mysteries and all knowledge, and if I have faith that can move mountains, but do not have love, I am nothing. Now this right here, you got to remember how they would do stuff like this. Paul would write a letter to the church, and the church would be like, "Oh my gosh, we got a letter. It's from Paul. And now, God would use Paul, pen to paper, Holy Spirit, write what I want to say. This, this, is, this is an inerrant scripture. And so the person would come up and read and they're like, "You read it. No, you read it. No, you read it. No, I'm not, I'm not reading this chapter. you read this chapter. Uh, you read it. You read it. Because the reality is is that the Church of Corinth was growing numerically. They were uh, performing miracles. They were, they were doing great things the way the world would say. The, the Corinth area would be exactly like if you're gonna say what city was most like the Bay Area, it's the Church of Corinth. The people were so impressed with themselves. They were they were trendsetters. They were they were the rich of the rich. They were the, they were the um, ones that were setting the tone financially. I mean, everything the Bay Area has is what Corinth had. And so those people got saved and thought they were impressive. And so Paul is saying, hey. You're, 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 you're performing well in business, but you don't love, you're nothing. Oh, you look good, and you've been working out. Doesn't matter if you don't love, you're nothing. He said, oh, there was a miracle in church today. Who cares? You weren't loving anybody. It's nothing. And so he's rebuking them. So they're reading this out loud to the church. And you've got to imagine what the church is going like. You know? And goes on to say, uh, but I, if you do not love, I am nothing. If I give, uh, give all I possess to the poor and to give over my body at hardship, that I may boast but do not have love, I gain nothing. It doesn't matter if we go on an 821 walk or if we go to Mexico or if we do a survey, day, if we don't love, we're nothing. Check the box of religion, nothing. If the spirit of God and the spirit of love is not on it. Goes on to say, love is patient, love is kind. It does not envy, it does not boast, it is not proud, it does not dishonor others, it is not self-seeking, it is not easily angered, it keeps no record of wrongs. That is the opposite of our culture. They're trying to search back 15 years of your wrongs, 10 years, just to trying to find something to destroy you with. But love actually says, I'm going to cover you and your wrongs. Love does not delight in evil, but rejoices with the truth and always protects, always trusts, always hopes, and always preserves. Perseveres. Not preserves, I don't know how to read. Um, <laughs> verse 8 love never fails. Everybody say, never fails. Let's go to verse 11. This is where he's talking. He's trying to tell me, when I was a child, I talked like a child. I thought like a child. I reasoned like a child. But when I became a man, I put the ways of childhood behind me. Some of you, as your pastor, can I say real quick, grow up. You acting like you did in junior high still. When you get angry, you act the same way. When you want people to know how you feel, you act the same way. You don't know how to respond in love yet. You haven't let love mature you. Love is not a do list. Love is actually a force. It is a spirit. It's who you become. And so, if I could just give you a little a, a little context here, um, love, loving the unlovable, it's not easy. Loving the unlovable is not natural. Forgiving the unforgivable is not natural. Giving mercy to those who don't deserve mercy. It's not natural, but thank God you are not natural. You are a supernatural being with a supernatural power. By the power of the Holy Spirit, you can love the unlovable, forgive the unforgivable, give mercy to those who don't deserve mercy. But can I tell you, it's not love if it isn't hard. It's not forgiven if it isn't hard. It's not mercy if it isn't hard to give it. It says love does not dishonor. You got to give honor even when people are dishonorable. This is what the bar is. I remember uh, being in L.A. and I was taking a class with uh, Pastor Jack Hayford. Uh, he, he planted, actually, a um, pastor Church on the Way for many years, an amazing church. It was located in the valley. And there was this moment he shared in the class, just talking about uh, us as pastors, that we need to be able to love the unlovable. And he used this story that he had uh, encountered in his own ministry about 10 years in. He preached a message, and this man uh, who got saved in the thing, sprinted up to the front of the altar and gave Pastor Jack a hug. Doesn't seem like a big deal, but the context of this man is he was a homeless man. He, you could tell he was homeless, looked homeless, smelled homeless, acted homeless. And the odor on him was so strong that Pastor Jack said that his first inclination was to get this guy off of me. This, I, this smell, I've got to preach again. It's getting on my clothes. And as the man is hugging him, Jack is about to give him the swim move and get out of there. But as he's hugging him, he feels the Holy Spirit say, hug him tighter. Hug him longer. The world has casted him aside, but we will not cast him aside. We're going to bring him in and we're going to hug him. And what the Spirit of God does is have you hug the ones that nobody else would hug, bring in the ones that nobody else would bring in, and have you just love a little different than the world can't. We're going to look at David's life the next two weeks. And as we look at David's life, we're going to see a man who just, you wonder why Israel had its greatest run? You wonder why David was the way David was? It's because love was a fuel in everything. When he could dishonor, he decided to honor because love does not dishonor. When he could take back with revenge, love does not take revenge. Love forgives. And so I'm praying that as we look at David's life, that you would look at your own life and say, man, where have I been immature in my love? And where do I need to grow up? God's going to grow you up this uh, next two weeks. Sound good? Will you bow your heads? God, we love you. We thank you that you're the one that grows us up. Holy Spirit, we thank you that we are not natural beings, that we'll love naturally. No, we're going to love with a supernatural type of love. We're going to forgive with a, a power that is not with our own strength. So God, I ask that my words would fall to the floor this morning. And God, I pray that your words are sore. God, we need you, Jesus. God, the Bay Area needs a church that will love them where they're at, that will celebrate them where they're at, that will embrace them where they're at, but will love them enough to point them to the one that can redeem them, to love them enough to point them to truth what they don't want to hear all the time, to point them to the one that can redeem and restore. God, may we be a loving church. We love you. We love you. Everybody said? Amen. All right, here we go. Now, we're going to be looking at a time in David's life um, where uh, he is now king. But before we get into that, I want to read you a list of his battles, uh, of how he got there. It's in 2 Samuel 8. Uh, next week, we'll be in 2 Samuel 9. It's the story of Mephibosheth. It's, it's one of the most beautiful stories of the gospel. I cannot wait to preach it to you. Um, I got so excited. You should have seen how long my message was. I was like, I, think, I can't do it. I can't do it. So, so I'm putting two together. So, so you're not going to want to miss these two. They're, they're, they're special. Uh, but 2 Samuel 8 is, is basically the, the, just the history of all his battles and victories. I want to read them to you. After this, David defeated and subdued the Philistines by conquering Gath, their largest town. David also conquered the land of Moab. David also destroyed the forces of Hadeazar, Rohab, Zobab, Hadeazar, uh, marched out um, to strengthen his control along the Euphrates River. David captured 1,000 chariots, 7,000 charioteers, and 20,000 foot soldiers. When the Aramanians... Ar- 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 from Damascus, arrived to help King Hadiezer. David killed 22,000 of them. Then he placed several army garrisons in Damascus. The Aramean capital. How do we say this word? Aramean? Somebody give it to me. Aramean? Cool. I'll take it. Like you speak Hebrew. Just kidding. Um, uh, the, the Aramean, uh, I can't say it. The, A, okay, became David's subject and paid him tribute money. So the Lord made David victorious wherever he went. Who wants that on their life? Yeah. Victorious wherever he went. We'll, we'll talk about that uh, today. So David became even more famous when he returned from destroying 8,000 Edomites in the Valley of Salt. He placed army garrisons throughout Edom and all of Edomites became David's subject. In fact, the Lord made David victorious wherever he went. Boom, there it is again. Can I just say real quick? John Wick has nothing on King David. Maximus, Decimus, Meridius, commanders of the armies of the North, general of the Felix Legion, the loyal, uh, the loyal servant of the true Emperor Marcus Aurelius, has nothing on King David. Okay. William Wallace, nothing on King David. You want to see a great action movie? Check out a King David action movie. The world don't want to make that movie because they give glory to God. King David is the original action star. If I could get serious with you for just a little bit about your life. If we could read a list of your battles. Oh my goodness. They wouldn't look like David's, but they would, they'd be life and death. The battle of depression, the battle of betrayal, the battle of addiction, the battle in your mind, the battle of your workplace, battle after battle after battle. And the reality of pastoring is, a lot of people have not tasted victory the way they should because they've not been living the way God called them to live. Mm-hmm. This church, you're going to taste victory. This season in your life you're going to taste victory. Yeah. But you gotta fight the battle the way God calls you to fight the battle. You gotta live the way God called you to live. You cannot reap what you do not sow. You cannot fight a war against the enemy when you do not bring in the right weapons. And so David is victorious over and over again. I love what it says in the last verse. It says this. So David reigned over all Israel and did what was just and right. For all his people, the nation is entering a season of rest for the first time of provision and peace because the right battles were fought. Everybody say right battles. Stop fighting the wrong battles. Stop it. You're not taking back any ground. Start fighting the right battles. Fight for the region. Fight with prayer. Fight for your marriage. Fight for your friendships. Fight for the right things. Stop fighting the wrong battles. The world just pulls these lovers and gets you all spin up. It's not the right battle. But this season is entering a season of rest and prosperity because a leader fought the right battles. Let me tell you real quick. The tribes of Israel have been united. The ark has been returned. The house of Saul has been defeated. David has been anointed and coronated as king. Woo! It's a great time. But before the list of all his battles... In 2 Kings 8, the greatest battle he had to fight. And it was a battle not with regular weapons. It was a battle with Saul and his family. And it would not be waged with wars of this uh, uh, weapons of this world, but it would be waged with love, waged with hope, waged with trust. David, before all of his provision, all of his prominence, and all his victories and battles, you know what he had to battle for? His promise. The, battle, the promise on his life, he had to battle for it. And the way he had a battle for it, he needed the greatest weapon, something better than a spear, something better than strategic war strategy. He needed the power of God and the love of God. You know what it says in, in 2 Timothy 1? It says that the, this, uh, the Lord did not give us a spirit of fear. Oof. Can I just tell you real quick, fear has got to lose its grips on your life. It is one of the greatest weapons the enemy will use to steal your promise, and to have you give up. To confine you to a prison. But it says in 2 Timothy 1:7, what does he give us? Power, love, and self-discipline. For the one weapon the enemy shoots at you, God gives you three weapons to shoot back. And if you could just look at the weapons, God's given you power and love and self-discipline. This is how David fought, fought his battle against Saul. And if I could just tell you, the, this battle was very interesting. Let me just give you some context in this battle: David was married to Saul's daughter. David was best friend with Saul's son Jonathan. Throughout a period of 10 years, Saul tries to kill David 10 times. If you think your in laws are difficult, you haven't met David's. Okay? Now you need to catch something real quick. David served Saul as a loyal subject. Saul needed battles to be fought, David volunteered. Saul needed a harp to be played. David did it uh, willingly. When David had a chance to kill Saul, David said, I will not strike God's anointed. Why? Why would he live this way? Because the honor that was in him was bigger than the hate and dysfunction thrown at him. You gotta hear this real quick. The hate and dysfunction thrown at you cannot be bigger than the love and honor in you. The sin that will be thrown at you cannot become the sin in you. Right. Gene Edwards writes this beautiful book called Three Kings. I read it when I was a young youth pastor. I've read it about three or four times since. Really small book, about 120 pages. I read it in one day. Very, very easy read. It tells the story of three kings. Saul, David, and Absalom. And there's this moment where he talks about David has the opportunity to kill Saul. And Gene Edwards just beautifully tells this story and he, He says that David is standing there knowing that he can strike Saul and all of his fear, all of his stress, all of his promises are on the other side of this man dying. And he knows that if he just takes his spear and jabs Saul in the chest, he will have what he's always wanted. But he will become what he's never wanted to be. Because he knows that the spear that Saul threw at him if he threw the same spear back, he would just be another leader like Saul. And God was calling a different type of leader to reign for Israel. And if I could just tell you real quick, the world will throw spear after spear after spear. And if you pick up the same spears and you chuck the same spears back, you have become what you never wanted to become. And if you, oh, if you could see what God's trying to do in your life, and if you would trust him because love never loses hope, love never, ever, ever, ever gets... Um, Uh, to have the quitting spirit, it perseveres. David simply says, I will put this spear down and I will allow the Lord to do what he needs to do. I'm not gonna become an angry man, a dishonoring man, a murdering man. I'm gonna become a different kind of man. I must love different, live different, forgive different because that's what God's called me to be, amen? So you have this amazing moment where the honor in him is bigger than the hate thrown at him. He gave honor, not because Saul deserved it, but because he was honorable. Let's just talk about honor a little bit. Because I feel like it's like one of those like lost words in our culture. It's like, um, it's, just not, it's just not really used. So let me give you some definition. Like, honor doesn't mean we always agree. Honor doesn't mean we even understand. Honor means I love and fear God more than I like my own opinions and way. Can I say, when man decides to honor, God decides to bless. Oh, I, when, I, when I was uh, uh, in L.A., uh, I had this buddy, his name was T.D., and it uh, stood for Terry Dayton, but he was a huge Disneyland freak. So he, people would be like, what does T.D. mean? He's like, it means total Disney, man. And I'd be like, that's weird, man. That's why you're still single, you know? Like, stop telling people your name means total Disney. But his birthday was on the same birthday as Mickey Mouse's birthday, which I didn't even know there was a birthday for Mickey Mouse like he was one of those like Disney freaks, you know. Um, I became one of my best buddies in LA. I was the best man at his wedding actually. He's now a pastor in a church. He started my youth ministry. Um, but when we went to go to Disneyland, he'd be like, "Tyler, today let's find hidden Mickeys." And I'm like, "Hidden what?" He's like, he's like, "There are over 400 hidden Mickeys in this park right now. Let's find all of them." I was like, "No." And so we'd walk around Disneyland, and he'd point out all these hidden Mickeys, and you would like, look at that one, and look at that one. I actually brought some pictures to show you. This is actually at the parks. This is what a hidden Mickey would look like. So some are pretty obvious, but first picture for the hidden Mickey. Boop. Boop. There it is. So right here. So, like, if you just look up, TD be like, hidden Mickey one. You know, like, okay, good job, TD. Next one, we walk around. This is the Pirates Caribbean. It's really small. You'd have to look in the, 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 uh, the wood where it's, uh, you know, being um, designed, and you'd find a really small Mickey. So that'd be two. Go to the next one. There's another one. Oh, oh, I don't see the Mickey. Oh. Um, there's hidden Mickey number three. Uh, fourth one. Uh, they, they, they'll even do the ropes like a hidden Mickey. Uh, you, you find that one, you're feeling like a boss. Okay. Um, next one. There's a hidden Mickey right there in the stained glass. It's a clock and a Mickey. Is there any other ones? I have any more? One next one? I think that's it maybe. That's it, okay. What if, what if, hey, what if I showed you all 419? You're like, are we going to be here for a year? <clears throat> It's amazing once somebody shows you the hidden Mickeys, you go to Disneyland now and I just I just see them everywhere. And what happens in scripture is something you never saw, and then once somebody shows it to you, you see it everywhere. And so I'm gonna I'm gonna show you honor all throughout the Bible. And when you start reading the Bible, all the things that were hidden from you, for some reason you're gonna start seeing, you're like, I was supposed to because here's what the reality is: is the reason why. Uh, David lived the life he lived is because he lived a love that honors, a a love that honors, not, not just the honorable, but the ones that dishonored him because, because we don't honor people because they're honorable. We honor people because we're honorable. And so if you don't honor, you you cannot receive. What I mean by that is you cannot receive from what you do not honor. If you do not honor money in Matthew 25, how will God trust you with it? The Bible says this, even in, um, in in, uh, Matthew 10, he receives a prophet in the name of a prophet shall receive the prophet's reward. If you do not receive the profit and honor, all it's saying is simply this. Let me, let me give you a very simple illustration. When I was a young youth pastor, I would come up and preach. There was always like a handful of people that are like, oh, it's the youth pastor preaching today. And they would sit back there and I would share some youth pastor stories I shouldn't have. Um, and so like the next time I preached, they just, they weren't ready. They weren't ready to hear from me. They didn't want to hear, like, like what, what is this? This guy's 23. I'm 45. What does he have to teach me? And so they could not receive from me in a season. And I remember, like, eventually they would say, like, you've matured, and now I can actually listen to you. The only one that was missing out was you, not me. And what happens, and that's a very simple thing, but if you cannot honor something, you'll never actually be able to receive from something. And so if you cannot honor money, why do you think you're going to receive things from God? If you do not honor the gifts, why would God send gifts? Honor is the, the currency of heaven. I'm going to show it to you. Um, yeah, and, there's the, and there's enemies of honor, familiarities in uh, enemy of honor. Uh, Jesus uh, uh, performed the least miracles because he was not honored in his hometown. There's just something about honor. Let me read some verses on honor. I'm going to show you some hidden Mickeys, if you will. Romans 12, be devoted to one another in love. Honor one another above yourselves. Ephesians 6, children, obey your parents because you belong to the Lord for this is the right thing to do. Honor your father and mother. This is the first commandment with a promise. If you honor your father and mother, things will go well for you and you will have a long life on, on this earth. When you start honoring, God starts blessing. Do you see that? Yeah. This is the, I, I don't even see that just even as a parent, a parent text. We are gonna honor the, the generation before us and we're gonna honor the generation after us. Well, my favorite pastor said this, week, we honor up, we honor down, we honor all the way around. There is something about a, a kid who cannot honor their parents, cannot receive from their parent. Goes on to say, um, honor the Lord with your wealth, with the first fruits of all your crops. Then, here's the promise again, then your barns will be filled with overflowing and your vats will brim with new wine. All you wine lovers said, I'm about to honor the Lord with my wealth. Okay, here we go. First Corinthians six: Do you not know that your bodies are temples of the Holy Spirit, who is in you, whom you receive from God? You are not your own; you were bought at a price. Therefore, honor God with your bodies. Let me read you another one. 1 Timothy five seventeen. I don't know how this one snuck in there, but I got to read it to you. It's scripture. The elders who direct the affairs of the church well are worthy of double honor, especially those who work in preaching and teaching. <laughs> double honor. <laughs> Woo hoo! Okay. I'm just preaching the Bible. I'm just giving you scripture. You can allow it to pierce your heart or not pierce your heart. But I'm just reading the Bible to you. First Samuel 2. Now a man of God came to Eli and said to him, This is what the Lord says. Did I not clearly reveal myself to your ancestor family when they, uh, they were in Egypt under Pharaoh? I chose your ancestor out of all the tribes of Israel to be my priest. To go up to my altar to burn incense and to wear an ephod in my presence. I also gave your ancestor family all the food offerings presented by the Israelites. Why do you scorn my sacrifices and offerings that I prescribed for my dwelling? Why do you honor your sons more than me? The Lord is about to show that when you dishonor, you turn the spigot off. Now, can I just tell you real quick? There is a difference between sonship and discipleship. When you get saved, your sonship, your your, your childship with the Lord, you are now inheriting heaven. Heaven is yours. You are saved. But discipleship versus, are you actually walking in the inheritance? Just because it's promised to you, yeah, you're, if you got saved, you're going to heaven. But on this side of earth, if you want heaven to actually reign in your life, you actually have to live a life of discipleship. And your sonship identity should affect your discipleship. And what this is showing is, hey, I promise this to you, but you're not living in the way that I called you to live, so how can I pour out what I want to pour out? All of you are honoring something. You're honoring a political leader, you're honoring a career, you're honoring yourself, you're honoring something, but if you're honoring the wrong things, you're missing out. So he goes, why do you honor your sons more than me? By fattening yourselves on the choice parts of every offering made by my people. Therefore, the Lord God of Israel declares, I promise that the members of your family would minister before me forever. But now the Lord declares, far be it from me. Those who honor me, I will honor. But those who despise me, I will disdain. Goes on to uh, say, the time is coming when I'll cut short your strength and the strength of your priestly house so that none of it uh, will reach your old age. And you will see distress in my dwelling, although good will be done to Israel. No one in your family will, uh, in line will ever reach old age. Woo! The promises forfeited by the dishonor of a spirit. I, I, I can't. I can't get past that. Some of us think we can live any way we wanna live, love any way we want to love, do whatever we want to do, and we're still going to have everything God has for us? Grace is massive. Forgiveness is massive. But the word of God says this, that God cannot be mocked. You reap what you sow. Get to know your scripture. Stop like telling yourself, like, I can do this. Everything's going to be okay. No, no, you, if you reap death, you're going to taste death. If you practice sin, sin will literally become a flame and then a fire and it will start to hurt your life. But if you actually start to live the life called you to live, Ooh, what kind of life could you have? Right. If you loved God with all your heart, all your soul, all your mind, and all your strength, oh, what could your life look like? C.S. Lewis says that most love, even with a Christian, is carnal. Until we really understand what real love is, because love is not a to-do list, it's a, it's a force. And what he goes on to say, if I could just paraphrase uh, uh, how he's trying to pack it, is that a lot of us love God for what we can get. We love God for what he saved us from. But C.S. Lewis goes on to say, real love is once you actually see his holiness. And you actually just want to be more holy for him. He goes, that's a different kind of love. We're like, I now see that you're the most beautiful God, the, most, the greatest thing ever and I just want more of you, I want to live for you, I want to please you, like that's the type of love a Christian has to come to once, uh, uh, one day in their life. Not a love like, I'm going to love you because you give me stuff. No, I'm going to love you because you're God. Okay, let, let's, let's, uh, let's, um, let's put this um, uh, in context. So, so honoring is not natural, but what did I say? Thank God you're not natural. You're a supernatural person with the power of the Holy Spirit. I'm going to put it this way, and we'll put a bow on it, and then I'm going to leave you with three points and send you on your way. If you can honor what others won't, you will receive what others can't. Oh, mm, let me give you another one. If you will love what others won't, you will accomplish what others can't. Man, for us to take back ground we got to become a loving people and honoring people. I'm going to give you three ways to love, three little handles. I'm just going to preach on it. I'm going to give you some practical things to send you on your way. First thing we need to do is we must love when it hurts. We must love when it hurts. Matthew 5 says this. If you are kind only to your friends, how are you different from anyone else? Even the pagans do that. But you are to be perfect, even as your Father in heaven is to be perfect. He's saying this kind of love, it's going to cost you something. This kind of love has a standard. And so you got to love even when it hurts, when it's inconvenient. Uh, Rachel and I, uh, you know, if you've heard our story, we uh, dated and then we broke up for eight months and then we dated again and then we got engaged and we got married. And here we are almost 11 years later, okay? Now, are we 11 years in? 12 years? 11 years in. Uh, We did it. I did it. So good. Okay. um, Good job, Tyler. Okay, so um, Rachel and I, we date, we're having a great time, and we end up breaking up. Uh, we ended up breaking up for so many reasons. One is uh, I dated a girl previous to dating Rachel. And I'm going to give you some context. You need to understand the whole context of this. Uh, and the girl I was dating before Rachel, I thought I was going to marry. And then we broke up. And Rachel and I started dating. And, you know, like the mom was even calling me like, hey, uh, you're supposed to marry our daughter. The Lord even said so. And so, like, I'm, like, I'm kind of conflicted in my, in, my, you know, in my emotions. So Rachel and I break up. And I'm just gonna tell you something real quick. Rachel was crazy about me. Okay, so so this was very painful for Rachel. Okay, also very painful for me. Can we go? Yeah, yeah. I'm just giving you real context. Okay, it wasn't like you know we dated and we're like hey let's just go our separate ways. It's all good. You know, like both of us like I I really 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 liked Rachel this moment. And and Rachel like you know the way she tells the story and I I'm, I'm, I'm not gonna try to put words in her mouth but she goes she'd never met anybody like me and. That's Um... <laughs> Double honor. Okay, uh, so, um, so we break up. And I had dated a handful of girls in my life. And when I broke up with a girl, they always had this way they acted towards me afterwards. I was the new enemy. And all their friends hated me. And they just, you know, like, you're dead to me. You're the worst person ever. This is how they treated me. Rachel and I went to the same church. Served in ministry together. And we broke up. And she was so kind to me. And she was so gracious. And I, I, I didn't understand it. I'd never seen anybody act like that. And I remember asking her, I said, like, and I even told her, like, one of the biggest reasons we got together the other is, like, I just never met anybody who navigated life the way you navigated. She said that she was in a very painful moment of her life, somewhat tormented because she knew maybe, like, I was, I was going to maybe get back together to the other person. And she said, Lord, what am I supposed to do with this person? Do I leave the church? But this is my church. Like, what do I do with Tyler? And she said, Lord, Lydia brought her to 1 Corinthians 13, and she read it like it was for the first time. She said, love is patient, love is kind, love keeps the record of no wrongs, love, love hopes for the best. So she started praying for me that if I'm supposed to marry this other girl, may I marry this other girl, may they have a great life, and may we be blessed. And when I look at the story of Rachel and I, One of the greatest reasons why we're married today is because somebody loved me when I didn't deserve love. And I'm telling you, if you want to move the needle in the right way, if you want to be a person that's not of this world, you got to love in a different type of way. And when you're in a difficult situation, you got to pray to God and say, God, how do I do this? And if he shows you scripture on how to do it, you got to do it. Amen. Amen. You got to love when it hurts. If so, you might snake yourself a Tyler. Okay. Um, (laughs) Kidding, kidding, kidding. Not a good joke. Relax, relax, relax. You can still receive from me. Relax. All right. Okay. Uh, Next one. I'm going to invite the. I'm going to invite the. I'm going to invite the worship team to come out to the front. Uh, We must. Next next point. We must love always, and we must love everyone. Okay. We must love always and love everyone. Here's what I mean by that. We work six days a week, and we rest. One day a week. But when it comes to love, it's 365, 24-7. It says you got to be perfect. And what I mean by that is hashtag no days off. You don't get to say today, I'm just not going to love people. I don't feel like it. I had a bad day. I'm going to be a jerk to people. Or how about this one? There's, you know, I love 97% of the world, but 3% I just can't stand. Well, 97% is still an F in God's class. is what he's asking for when it comes to loving people. Can I tell you something real quick? I was at a a pastor's gathering about, I don't know, a little less than a year ago. Small dinner, about 30 people. And all these pastors, besides me and a couple other guys, are all famous. I mean, best-selling books. I mean, a lot of of Christians know him. And this one guy walks in. And I had seen him speak. And and I I know some of his best-selling books. I've heard about him. So many people I know love him. And so his persona is so great from the platform. And so he walks in, and, I, and you know, and his books are great, and people are like, oh, oh, this guy, oh, this guy. And so I like, I'm actually excited to meet him. And so me and my buddy stand there. He walks in, and my buddy, you know, he just walks right uh, uh, walks right through the door and right, we're right next to it. And my buddy goes, "Hey, how are you?" Introduces himself, and then and then I, you know, introduce myself, and, and he you know, kind of touches her hand, and he just literally turns his back to us and just blows us off. Unbelievably rude. And my buddy's like, "What a jerk!" And I was like. That's the nicest way you can say it, because you're a Christian. But that guy is a punk. Like, I was like, I was so upset. And I, and I remember, like, you know, and I come back to, to church, and people, you know, they'll share his name, and I'll be like, oh, if you knew what I knew. You know, and because the reality is, like, people are like, oh, he's the best. He writes the best books, puts out the best content. He's such a good communicator. But the book of Corinthians says you can write the best books, you can put out the best content, but if you do not love, you're nothing. And I, I, and I caught myself. And I was like, that guy can live his life the way he wants to live. Maybe I caught him on a bad day. Maybe he's socially awkward. I don't know. But he was super rude and super unloving. But I told myself, I get one shot with people. I don't get to take a day off. I can't blow somebody off that day. I can't just be unkind to somebody that day. Every day I got to say, God, use me to love people. And when I walk away, may they not say, I like the way he speaks. Or I like this or I like that. May they say, man, he was kind and he was loving. I'm telling you, your accomplishments will not impress people. Your resume will not impress people. But the way you treat them, the way you love them, how present you can be with them on your good days and bad days, that will move the needle. We must love always, and we must love everyone. Amen? Last but not least, we must love with no strings attached. We must love with no strings attached. My favorite story, William Barclay uh, shares it in one of his commentaries. It's an old story that a old, old monk would share. A true story of a young couple. Uh, It said that, it it goes this way, I'm just gonna read it to you. It was a young couple, Della and Jim. They were both very poor, but very much in love. Each one had a unique possession. Della's hair was her glory. When she would let it down, it almost served as a robe. Jim had a gold watch, which had come to him from his father, and was his pride. It was his greatest possession. It was the day before Christmas, and Della had exactly $1.87 to buy Jim a present. She went out and sold her hair for $20. With the proceeds, she bought an aluminum fob for Jim's precious watch. When Jim came home at that night and saw Della's shorn head, he stopped as a stupefied. Her hair had been cut to a stump. It was not that he did not like it or that he no longer loved her, for she was lovelier than ever. Slowly he handed her his gift. It was a set of expensive tortoise shell combs with jeweled edges for her lovely hair. And he had sold his gold watch to buy them. Each had given the other all that he was to give. Real love cannot think of any other way to give. Both gave everything they had to love the other person to the best of their ability. And that's church clicking on all cylinders church at its worst is terrible, but church at its best is the most beautiful thing the earth will ever see. And my prayer is, if you're a withholder in the room, that God would open your eyes and you'd start becoming a giver and a generous person, and you would love, you would pour out compliments, you'd pour out encouragement, that you would love a life of love, that you would not hold back, and you would give with no strings attached you would give not thinking you're gonna get something great in return because love does not give to get. Love gives because love was given to them. Oh, I pray that we'd be a church that loves. Will you bow your heads? I know it's your first time or second time in church. I don't know if you ever said yes to Jesus, yes to heaven, no to hell. But the reason why we could talk about a great love is because we encountered a savior who loved in a way that the world had never seen. For God so loved the world that he gave his only son that forever believe in him shall not perish but have everlasting life. If you want to say yes to heaven, no to hell, yes to blessing, no cursing, yes to salvation today, with every head bowed and eye closed, I want you to raise your hand and catch my eye. One, two, three, raise it up. I see you, and I see you, and I see you, and I see you, and I see you. Come on now, I see you. Hands everywhere. Oh, we thank you, Jesus. We thank you, we thank you. God, we thank you for what you're doing at Mission Church. We thank you for the multiple hands that just said yes to you. God, may we love well this week. May we honor well, may we serve well, oh may we forgive well. Your word shows that you are love. Well, God, may your sons and daughters be a reflection of that love this week. God, we love you. And everybody said? Thanks again for listening to the Mission Church Podcast. If you enjoyed it, make sure you subscribe so you can keep up on our weekly sermons.